0: Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Tactical Leader. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Caitlin McGregor and we're gonna talk about how she is building different aspects with you, with me on their global research and innovation operations. Before we begin, I'll remind you, this show is brought to you by Nightly Productions. If you're a content creator, podcaster, YouTuber, and you wanna create tactical content that delivers Head over to nightly dot productions to find out how we can help you discover, embrace and share your voice. Again, that's nightly dot productions. Kate, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I'm super excited to have you. Obviously, you have a little bit of an accent. We're going to dive into the different parts of the world that that you've journeyed through, but before we dive into it, I want to give everybody an idea about who you are and what you're involved with, where you lead the global research and innovation operations team for With You, With Me, and you're responsible for developing the testing and matching capabilities of the potential platform. You influence ongoing development of new and existing products across multiple regions. You've done everything from chief employee success officer, building the employee success functions, big piece of HR these days. (laughs) <laughs> Making sure employees are cared for and actually are invested in what you're doing. And y'all have scaled from 60 employees to over 400 globally and maintained an average employee satisfaction rate of 85 during the pandemic, which is unbelievable for a lot of reasons. Prior to joining that, you held senior HR and operations roles across agriculture, transport, and logistics sectors, and your pivotal implementation of software programs, driving change and building a graduate recruitment process from the ground up, where it sounds like you're bringing in innovation attached to different aspects where you're getting away from, as our mutual friend, getting away from that native analog world, getting into a more digital world, making it more friendly for the younger generation. And Before I dive into all this and how you're maintaining this employee satisfaction, Let's start off. What's a fun fact that we might not know about you?
1: Something that I'm incredibly proud of is that I am actually a neurodivergent leader. So I have ADHD and severe dyslexia. So if I randomly trail off on a thought, that's you know why.
0: (laughs) Is that something that, I mean, in the HR world, is that something you've really seen Be something that you can help implement more into HR. Is that why you're so passionate about HR? Because you want to make sure everybody feels like they have that value attached to whatever they may have if they trail off onto a thought like that.
1: Yeah, I think so. Obviously, you know, with you with me, we have the saying potential over experience. And as somebody who has been a, a neurodivergent individual in the workforce for an extended period of time. I sometimes am coined overly emotional or or difficult and it's less about that and actually more about just the fact that my brain works fundamentally differently to everybody else's. And so what we're tending to see within human resources is as we move more into millennials and particularly Gen Zers coming into the workforce, the open-mindedness towards neurodivergent talent is changing and that allows us to really drive the "Quote unquote superpower of neurodivergency, however that may look for the individual. So my passion for human resources is because for us to build diverse, equitable and inclusive workplaces, it doesn't start once a person is actually inside an organisation, it starts when they apply for those positions. So I've been in human resources for a very long time and I noticed that we weren't Leveraging all of the talent that we could because we were too close-minded ourselves as HR professionals to embrace that talent as they come into our organization.
0: And, and obviously, we talked about this piece. You have the accident. You've been all across the world attached to things. And you're bringing this experience. I want to highlight that. Where all have you been across the world? Because you haven't just done this... In the United States or in one particular country where you're up north of the border in this North America, we won't mention the country you're in now because nobody wants to talk (laughs) about Canada. Uh No, I'm teasing. But you've done this all across the world. Where are you from originally? Where have you seen this applied and how have you brought that experience into this modern workforce here in North America?
1: So in answer to your first question, as I'm sure you you can tell, I'm Australian. So g'day, mate, to everyone that's on the call (laughs) or listening to the podcast. I've seen this work particularly well within the United Kingdom and actually within Canada. And I know we're not, we weren't going to talk about Canada, but it is working very well here. There's a very specific reason for that. The way with which the United Kingdom embraces neurodivergent talent is something that I haven't seen in a market before. So, our neurodivergent program in particular is becoming quite popular. Combine that with the fact that we're seeing more and more Gen Zers, for example, identify as neurodivergent, it is a very interesting time to be involved in human resources COVID has made workplaces and work functionalities that companies offer behave differently because employer, employees are now aware of the fact that they really can work from home and have their life. And, you know, the old analogy of have their cake and eat it too is really starting to become a real function. Millennials in particular and Gen Xs are watching Gen Zs go, well, no, I'm, I'm not going to give you more than the hours that you're paying me for because I want my life outside of that. And it's seeing a significant change in the cultural behaviors of staff responding to, you know, overtime requests and so on and so forth. So it's going to be a really interesting next five to 10 years within the cultural space for organizations, because as we grow our companies, we're going to need to change the way with which we behave towards those individuals.
0: And that's an interesting piece to bring into this because right now you have so many organizations that are I don't know if failing is too strong of a word, but recruitment, retention, there are issues across several industries and it's everything from hospitality to the restaurant industries. I mean, you can name it. It's like everybody's having these issues, even insurance companies, right? Insurance companies can't find staffing. So many newer, younger, millennial, Gen Z, they want this hybrid workforce. A lot of organizations are pushing against hybrid and virtual What's the solution here? How do you keep the Gen Zers and the the millennials engaged in this workforce? Have you seen something that's worked really well so far?
1: Well, I guess the question that I would ask is how much are you willing to sacrifice in terms of your workforce? If you aren't willing to sacrifice your workforce, then I think it's time that we as HR professionals actually listen to what the workforce wants. It's all well and good for us to sit in boardrooms and have conversations and say things like, well, I really don't care what they want. This is what I want. Great. Good for you. But guess what? Times are changing. And your audiences as employee employers, they aren't going to play the same game that we were playing before COVID. They know they can have their cake and eat it too. And they know the technology is there to be able to drive it. What the challenge will be for us is actually making sure that we have the same cultural alignment as organizations when we allow our staff to have those hybrid, you know, opportunities. So it's less about whether we should do hybrid or not, and more about whether what are we doing to actually help the hybrid culture be successful and mirror what we want for our company's culture externally. We can't, gone are the days of us dictating to employees what they can and cannot do. It will not work for us anymore. It's time to embrace the fact that this is going to become a reality and find ways of driving our culture virtually because human beings by nature like to connect and the connection virtually is brilliant, but it doesn't give you the same level of dopamine or serotonin in your brain when you connect um, personally and in front of a person. So I think what you'll start to see is smaller office spaces with people coming into those offices, you know, two to three times a week to get their personable hit but then you will also find them working from home. And what what is really interesting and some of the research that With You With Me has been doing is we're actually finding that a lot of our staff are far more productive at home than when they come into the office, but they're far more satisfied when they come into the office because they're getting that personal connection. So it's kind of like... We don't want to cut our nose off despite our face, but at the same time, it's really important that we continue to drive the ability for those employees to have what they need to feel successful, but also be productive so that the company is ultimately successful.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I was at this meeting this past week, is it Porsche World Headquarters here in Atlanta? So there's really a diverse group of business leaders And there was a very clear dichotomy right down the middle of somebody like myself. I'm a millennial. I'm 34. There are a couple of folks in there that are a little bit younger, around my age, but the majority of the room were not. I mean, we were the youngest in the room by, you know, 15, 20 years. The senior executives of entrepreneurship and business owners that have been there, done that, And, and they're, you know, multiple a figure companies and their biggest pushback to this conversation was they had to have somebody in person. They had to have somebody next to them to be able to mentor them. They wanted to have that personal connection. And it was funny. The, the facilitator only called on his quote unquote friends that had that same type of business. and like, Oh, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And then when the one millennial spoke up, not myself, unfortunately, obviously brought a very, he's wearing a Tesla X hat. So you can already imagine he's in that innovative mindset. And you know, it was very clear that it got shut down very quickly, but in my mind, it goes to, at what point are we limiting ourselves as leaders failing to innovate? Are we going to stifle ourselves if we don't innovate in this world? If we don't push into what you're saying and we stay stagnant, is that actually going to be something that is going to start being debilitating towards organizations?
1: 110%. I cannot tell you how important innovation is to an organization. When we talk about innovation, we talk about the ability for somebody to come up with new creative ideas, right? The way a person feels, quote unquote, safe to do that and then to share those ideas is through psychological safety. Break that down. It's trust. Trust is the most important thing to be able to build innovation. When you don't have an environment that trusts you enough to be able to work from home or in a hybrid environment or, you know, the hours that you want to work, you actually end up stifling innovation. And so what With You With Me has been doing, uh, particularly since COVID, is we actually kind of let our staff work the hours that work for them. So we are a truly global company in that I will tend to work later in the morning. So I will start at like 10, 30, 11 o'clock, but I will finish later in the evening. So I'll finish at 7, 8 o'clock at night. That allows me to be online with our UK team. Somewhat, it also allows me to be online with our Australian team. Now I'm lucky I'm lucky because I'm in Canada and the time zones work. But for us, just those small things around letting our staff work the hours that they want to work. It means that the mums in our company are able to go pick their kids up from school. It means that the dads can take their kids to soccer practice or athletics or whatever it is that they want to after school. We support them on a personal level. And in exchange, they give us some of the best. And most creative ideas that we've seen, I am super proud to say that one of those ideas was our innovation hub, which was brought to us by two staff members out With You With Me. And that, that idea is actually about to go live. It'll be at the end of the year. So. You know when we we allow our staff or our employees to be themselves and human beings, because let's just be honest here, they're not numbers on a page. They have lives and they are parents and they are siblings and they are you know relatives and loved ones for a lot of people. But if we actually take a second to acknowledge that and then treat them as human beings instead of numbers on a page, you drive innovation without trying because you inadvertently build psychological safety and trust. And that then allows you as an organisation to profit because let's be honest here, companies profit from their staff, not from you know a product. It is their staff behind the scene because you wouldn't have a product without your staff. So I think it's important that we take a second and realise that whilst you know, it's always been done, in inverted commas, a certain way, that doesn't mean that it's the right way to do it moving forward. We are an innovative society. Human beings have innovated over a period of time. And we may get stubborn in our ways at time, but innovation will always happen. So either get on board or get out of the way, because it's going to happen, and it's going to run you over like a freight train.
0: And that doesn't sound like it's going to feel good when that happens. (laughs) Because I think in reality, I mean, you're right. And it was interesting. The studies that I started looking at after that conversation were that people don't want to be solely virtual, right? They want a little bit of connectivity, just that little bit of hybrid. But in this virtual world, and I have one organization myself that is fully virtual. I don't have any employees in Atlanta. Wasn't necessarily intended that way. Just so happens. That's where I found the talent. Is there something you would recommend for leaders to garner that dopamine dump to kind of get that connectivity where if you're not in person, how do you foster that? Beyond this safe environment, beyond the psychology of it all, how do you actually foster these touch points? Because when COVID first hit and everybody went virtual, it's like, oh, let's do a a morning stand, too. And everybody have a cup of coffee in the morning together and just sit there and stare at each other. Or all these happy hours started popping up, right? Oh, you're forced to be on Zoom at 5 p.m. on a Friday for happy hour with the team. And, And those got like, no, no, thank you. And people were showing up in PJs and all this other stuff, right? What would you say be a great connectivity point to kind of garner that within an organization that is remote and is virtual?
1: So let's be clear, not every organization and not every team is exactly the same. So the coffee chats and the PJ chats and the after hours drinks, that might work for some teams, but it's not going to work for all. I'll speak to what I did because that's probably a lot easier. So when I sat as the Chief Employee Success Officer for With You With Me and I was building the human resources function for the company globally... It was right in the middle of the pandemic. I had been working remotely. My previous partner was an Australian Defence Member, so we were stationed at an Australian Army base. So I was working remotely. I had my team working remotely across Australia. So one of the things that we would do, and it was actually my team that suggested this, was we would do the morning stand-to's and whatever, but instead of just having it as like a let's just all awkwardly stare at each other and make fun of each other, we actually would share a daily win and then at the end of the week, we would do a weekly win, but also a weekly lesson. So what was it that we learned? And it was also a chance for my team to share ideas with each other on how they would have approached that situation differently, what it was that they you know, really wanted to. So I guess what I'm trying to say here, Zach, is like, I didn't tell my team how to have those meetings. My team told me how to and I, and that might just be that my leadership style, I'm very open to how my team wants to engage with me and what they need from me. So I've recently taken on the social impact function at with you with me as well. And so part of that means that my. You know, me building my relationship with my team currently is me spending quite a fair bit of time understanding them on a personal level. So for example, with my employee success team, I knew that one of my staff members, she would take things really personally because she cared so very much about what she was doing. I also knew another one of my staff members could come off as a little arrogant because he cared so much. He put a wall up and it made him look that way, but that wasn't how he was. So I spent a lot of time helping them with their development and in turn they actually helped me with mine. And what that did was build a connectivity for our team that made that particular function of the business one of the highest performing functions with the least amount of staff in a time where our company was scaling at pace. So I think for me, it's about vulnerability. It's about driving honest conversation and it's about listening. And I think as leaders, at times we really forget that last one. We're great at vulnerability and we're great at honesty, but do we ever shut up long enough to actually hear what people are saying? And sorry for swearing there, but like, you know, do we stop talking long enough to hear what our teams are saying to us? Because we think we know the answers, but in reality, we actually don't. Because how do you know who Harry is on your team? Have you actually spent the time to ask him who he is?
0: I absolutely love that. And I'm curious, is there a resource that you'd recommend from both sides? What about from the HR or the senior executive side? And what about from the Gen Z side? Do you have these two, any type of resource you'd recommend, whether it's podcast, a book, a mentor, something that they can go to that would kind of help guide this conversation a little bit further?
1: I guess it depends on the audience. So for me as a leader, I I read a lot. So I've, I've read, you know, Sapiens. I have read Lead from the Front. I've read Dave Goggin's book, which the name now escapes me. <laughs> of course it does there i've done a lot of reading around the leadership space the other piece for me as well is that i actually have just learned from either really good managers that i've had before or really bad ones there isn't a specific thing that has just like made me become a really good leader it is just that i i have learned from my own experiences as having good leaders and bad leaders for gen z i honestly i would suggest actually reading the same you know spectrum of, of those types of books and actually the one piece of advice that I would give leader or Gen Z actually put yourself in the shoes of the person that you are either leading or being led by. Try, like, genuinely try to understand what those people are going through. And this is actually comes from a leadership development session that a very good colleague and friend of mine, Tom Lada, our COO, ran back when I first started it with You with Me. And I will always remember this for as long as I live. We were sitting there in a room in our North Sydney office. And, you know, we had just had some, you know, difficult conversations and I remember him sitting everybody down in the room and saying, if you do nothing other than be, if you do nothing other than this as a leader in a company, know that this will make a difference in everybody's life. Put yourself in the shoes of the people you are leading and the people that are being led, put yourselves in the shoes of the person that is leading you. And if we as a collective come together to understand each other we actually, again, change the way that we are perceiving how that person is communicating and engaging with us.
0: Yeah, I think that's such great advice because I think that's something that we tend to gloss over sometimes, right? It's something maybe we got comfortable for a while or it just wasn't in the forefront. And then, you know, nobody can expect a pandemic. Nobody can expect to go immediate virtual where all of a sudden you have to adapt and shift and figure out the new way to do something you've been doing the same way for years. Can we get a little bit more specific with your organization? I want to make sure we highlight it. What's the baseline of what y'all are accomplishing in the world? And can you just give us a quick rundown of what With You With Me is accomplishing in this space as a whole?
1: So With You With Me was founded out of a notion of um, helping underrepresented communities find meaningful work. And it actually started in the veteran space. So our CEO and founder, Tom Moore, was an Australian military veteran who applied for dozens of roles, did, sorry, applied for hundreds of roles, did dozens of interviews and kept getting told you don't have enough experience. So he set out to basically build With You With Me as a way of helping specifically veterans at the time, find meaningful employment when they got out of the Defence Force. Because as a veteran, Zach, I'm sure you know, it is not an easy thing when you leave something that is very much an institutionalised organisation And, you know, a job where you're literally told what to do every single day to then go out into the big wide world and not understand how your skills transfer, not understand how your competencies transfer and consistently be told by people that don't understand either that you, you know, can't do a thing, but actually you can. So with You With Me's mission is about solving underemployment through the recognitions of skills and competencies based on you as a person, not necessarily the jobs you've had before. So we have an aptitude assessment called, sorry, we have an an aptitudinal platform and a training platform called Potential. And that platform actually looks at psychometrics assessments and also provides training as well as giving employers and HR professionals like myself, basically a one-stop shop of like, this person is suited to this job and these are the reasons why and here's all the skills that they have. So, for with you with me, our like goal is to change the world in the best way possible, and that is by solving underemployment for veterans, for military spouses, for neurodivergent youth, indigenous communities, and really trying to drive that understanding from the wider community that just because they don't fit in the box in inverted commas doesn't mean that they can't do the job it actually means that we as hr professionals need to change the way we look at this talent the way we assess this talent and the way we engage and retain this talent
0: yeah i think y'all are doing an amazing job obviously the the growth of the organization and i know there are some astounding numbers that y'all have put together attached to the success you've had And I'm curious, as you're doing all this, obviously, you're really invested in making sure this mission, this message is going forward. Overall, what's the legacy that you want to see happen, not only with your own involvement, but with the organization, all the amazing work you're putting into it?
1: So when I I spent nine months trying to get into With You With Me. I found out about With You With Me from a very good friend of mine whose husband served with our CEO and founder. If I set out, when I joined With You With Me, I set out to help 100 military spouses. And I didn't care how. I just wanted to help 100 military spouses. That's what I set out to do. My legacy that I will want to leave behind is is to know that I have done nothing but make a difference in changing at least one HR professional's mind in how they view, engage, and drive this talent market because this particular talent market is not the same as every other talent market. It is about nurturing and driving these individuals to feel safe so that they can show you what they can do. So my legacy was purely to make the change in the world that I wanted to see as a neurodivergent woman in a male dominated industry.
0: I think that's such a huge piece that we need as a female leader. I love hearing that aspect of it. We need women like you out there, like driving that piece to show, Especially in this new age, like y'all are so much smarter than us. It's not even funny. <laughs> and like, I'm not even like one to qualm about that. It's like, it's just facts. Like, it's just facts. Y'all are so much smarter. <laughs> but I want to give everybody the opportunity. Not only how can they t- tell everybody, how can they reach out to you? How can they follow with you with me? How can they get engaged in this uh, amazing aspect of what y'all are doing in the world?
1: So LinkedIn is always the best way to get me. Kate McGregor is my name on LinkedIn and I'll come up there. If you're interested in doing the assessment or you want to check out the platform and you are one of the aforementioned members, it is completely free. And I genuinely mean that. We don't take credit card. There is nothing. It is a completely free service for those underrepresented groups. It is simply just www.withyouwithme.com and it is us providing that platform for your use if you're interested in social media again it's all just with you with me and all of those handles will be in the description box below but we're always willing to have conversations with you know veterans and military spouse and neurodivergent indigenous alike as well as all of the other you know groups that we we work with but for me personally I am more than happy to have conversations with people about new ideas that they have or anything that they're interested in you know wanting to share with me.
0: I love it, Kate. You're amazing. Thank you so much for bringing that wisdom to us, bringing with you, with me to us, and obviously on a much larger scale. And I encourage everybody to go check it out, find out more about it. And of course, come back this Friday for Tactical Fridays. We break down a little bit more of how with you, with me can help you specifically. Kate, thanks so much for your time today.
1: No worries. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of the Tactical Leader Podcast. If this episode helped you along your journey of self mastery and has inspired you to do more, I challenge you to head over to myvoicechallenge.com so you can find out how you can discover your voice, claim your independence, and build that thriving business that you've always wanted. Again, that's myvoicechallenge.com.